so good. Hey, let's, let's pray like we've never prayed before. A sermon, that is. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for this season. Thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much, God, for um, this, this place, Lord. This is a special, special people, I should say, Lord. God, the River Church, it's really special. And uh, the lives and the years and the, the moments, Lord, and the, and the shared experiences we've had, Lord God, uh, it's just such a gift in this season, Lord. And we just remember, oh, my brother Todd. Oh, love Todd. God, and we just pray for your healing hand upon him, Lord. Is it, it's got to be so discouraging. Um, Lord, he's such an active guy, such a, a healthy guy, and loves this place and loves being around these people. And God, we just pray right now your presence would be real specifically with him at home. And he would even sense our hearts for him, Lord, our, our, our love for him. And um, thank you. Thank you for the gift that is the Windor family. And wash over them with your peace. Wash over them with your healing. Wash over them with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it is so great to do something I have never done before, and that is one hour from the moment you're given the news till the moment you deliver putting a sermon together. And, uh, and the cool part about it is expectations are just on the ground. So no one expects much of anything. So at this point, uh, I could just kind of read to you and maybe do like a, a little magic show or something, and we're good. But the part I, was, I, I did feel a sense of confidence about is those of you that have been around, hanging out a little bit, even like two weeks hanging out here, you will know that I am like Christmas, the Christmas man, the Christmas boy. I love this season. I start listening to Christmas music sometime around like July, and I bring the rest of the world to kind of catch up with me in December at some point, but I literally can listen to Christmas music and the lights, and the, it's so, so multi-sensory. Like my favorite Christmas movie, now I have a captive audience, my favorite Christmas movie, of all time? Die Hard. Die Hard, exactly. Yes, good. <laughs> Die Hard's like my second favorite. It is a Christmas movie, but uh, my favorite, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Right? The end of that, when, when the community comes together, and you're just like awash with like, yes, this is what it's all about. This is the point of life. In that little, beautiful, captured moment. So good. Todd had this impression uh, that he blames on God, and I do too. Uh, earlier on in a, a few weeks ago about this series, this Advent series we're doing, and he just had this impression that God just said, like, it's a glorious season. That's the theme. That's kind of what we're going to clutch onto. It's a glorious season. It's a glorious season. This idea of glory, the glory of God, experiencing and thinking about the glory of God. And I think one of the cool parts about Christmas that I love so much is for all of us, no matter how jaded we can be or how hard the season is, when those lights first start coming on, when you do that first stroll through the Christmas light section in South Torrance, and normally I do it with like the double jogger, Christmas lights, and my Christmas music blazing, uh, and, and we just kind of lap that place. When you get that first sip of like whatever the Starbucks flavor is for the season, and you go, oh, it's good. Or you watch that Christmas movie, and you're just like, Miracle on 34th Street, and it's like, oh my goodness, he's speaking German to this kid, or he's in sign language, and it's, it's happening. And, and you just have that sense of, like, the Grinch's heart is growing. And you're just, we get these little, like, glory leaks out. A little bit of glory leaks out. Like, as we look at the lights, even, like, there's this sense of glory leaking out, and what we want to plumb and excavate in this series is the, the sort of pulsating epicenter of that glory. 
Because we taste it and we feel it. And we experience it, whether we know what it is or not, as a culture. The source of that glory is so real and so overwhelming. And there are these moments, in particular, in the stories of Advent that we're going to be reading. There are these moments where you get this unbridled, like, breaking open of the glory. You just see it, and it's a sight and an experience to behold. And so, what we're going to be looking at in the next few weeks leading up to Christmas Eve, uh, which I can't wait, is we're going to be looking at the glory the glorious season and the glory of God. And today, what I um, threw together uh, would be, half of it was in the shower, half of it was like as I was shaving. Um, But what I want to do is look at uh, Luke chapter 1 and the contours, a few contours of glory that come from this story. So I got like quattro, I got four uh, contours of glory or or sort of elements that I want to just reflect on, and this will be, this is not some heavy exposition of the text or a giant historical theological uh, review of what's happening here. This is going to be very much a, let's sit together, let's hear the text, and let's just reflect on the glory of God in this story. So Luke 1, Gary did an incredible read, which is not surprising given his incredible wiring um, of some of this text, and I'm going to read a piece that we didn't read. Uh, So right after the prologue, uh, we, we have these, we, we, we meet two people. We meet Zachariah and Elizabeth. Zachariah and Elizabeth. He's a priest, which means he's part of a bloodline that serves in the temple. And there's a lot of priests that live all throughout uh, Israel. And it's, you're really lucky if you get a chance to actually go into the temple and do something. And actually be part of the ritual. Because there's so many of them, they do a lottery system. It's like getting into preschool in Palos Verdes or something, right? Like, you, you really line up for it. And his, his lot gets cast. And it's his turn to go in and actually be part of the ritual. Which is a huge honor. Something that he would probably, he would love, he would love to be able to tell his children and grandchildren about. The problem is, he's old. His wife is old. And they have struggled with infertility. They were not able to have children. So now he's having this moment. He's probably going to be telling his, his, cousin, his cousins and his, his nephews and nieces about, but it's his chance to go in, and something pretty remarkable happens. So we'll start with verse um, 10. They're in Israel now, in Jerusalem. And when the time for the burning of incense, this is Luke 1, verse 10. When the time for the burning of incense came, all assembled worshipers were praying outside, and he goes in. Verse 11, and then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. Could you imagine in that moment, right? You're so disoriented. This is frightening, it's exciting, and you have just heard some, a promise that you have long forgot about, a promise you have long written off and said, it's just not going to be part of our story. We're not going to have children. That's not our con- it's not going to happen. And, and quietly and sadly, maybe at every family gathering, you recognize as you're playing with your nieces and nephews, you realize this is not going to be part of my story. And in a moment, he's told, oh no, it's going to be part of your story. But then it gets bigger. Verse 14, this son, John, of yours, he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Skipping down 
um, to verse 16, he'll bring many of the people of Israel back to the Lord their God. Verse 18, so, so, so uh, well, I'll tell that in a second. So Ze- Zechariah is sitting here going, not only will I have a kid and be able to watch the countenance of my beautiful wife Elizabeth light up with disbelief and excitement and the thrill of motherhood, but this child is going to be a specific part of God's incredible plan in salvation history. This child is going to be a blessing like no other to, the, to, to our people. This is amazing. This is remarkable. So he asks, verse 18, Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. The angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you. Hello. Right? Like, what do you think? And so I tell you this good news. Uh, here's Zechariah, as I would imagine many of us, not me so much, I'm, not, I'm a feeler, not a thinker, but many of us that are thinkers, um, that get a little more logical, so the, the emotions wash over from fear to surprise to excitement to like, okay, now let's get down to brass tacks. How's this going to happen? Right, this is a kind of practical guy. And, and he kind of defaults to this, I'm half in, but I'm not quite in. I'm not quite excited. I don't know. And God in his grace isn't like, okay, fine, it's not going to happen. Instead, here's what we hear. He says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you. And I'm going to tell you this good news, okay? And now you're going to be silent. You're not going to be able to speak until the day this happens because you didn't believe my words, which will come true in their appointed time. Now, the author of this gospel is Luke. Luke's the same guy that wrote um, Acts, right? And do we remember anything special that happened to a particular character in Acts when he had an intervention, when God intervened in his glory, right? Paul, what happened to Paul? Lost his sight, gone, right? You're going to be blind, and it was a duration of three days. So there's this thing that God does where we see he's a loving father, but he's, he's not afraid to discipline and say, like, no, you're sitting in the corner for a while here, buddy. You're, you're not going to be saying, you're asking some stupid questions. You're not going to be asking any more stupid questions until this happens. I'm Gabriel. I say in the presence of God. What do you mean? How is this going to happen? So he wasn't able to speak until the moment in which the baby was born. It was just, you could just imagine, like, the spiritual formation that God's doing in the, in the thick of that journey for him where the first words, he sort of signs to name him John, and as soon as it happened, he speaks and goes, it's real, it happened, this is powerful stuff. That's, that's Zechariah, pretty cool stuff. Now, what I'm most excited to get to is Elizabeth. Zechariah, that's cool for him, that's exciting. But verse 23, Elizabeth, when the time of service was completed, he returned home after his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months they remained in seclusion. And here's what she says, and, and Bill's going to bring some awesome reflections perhaps, among other things, um, about Elizabeth. But verse 25, the Lord has done this for me, she says. The Lord has done this for me. In those days, he has shown, in these days, he's shown favor, and he's taken away my disgrace from among the people. Such a beautiful reflection. In a society that, sadly, one of the main contributions women were thought to be able to make would be just have babies, have babies. And even that, she still had a deficit in. And to suddenly know, I'm having a child, and this child will be special, and it's happening for me. Wow. Powerful, powerful. So that's the first, first visit. And then I'm just going to uh, introduce, uh, reread a little bit of what Gary read with Mary, the second major character that shows up in the story, or maybe the third major character. Uh, in the sixth month, this is verse 26 of chapter 1, in the sixth month 
Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. And the standard of David, the virgin's name was Mary, Miriam, the most popular name for a woman in ancient nation world at that time. Um, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Verse 20, 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting would this be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You're going to conceive, give birth to a son, and name him Jesus. He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High. And, and it goes on, his, he'll be given the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will have no end. And then she asks, how's this going to be? And he's, the, the, Gabriel's like, the Holy Spirit's going to take care of all the details. And, and her response, verse 38, so great. I'm the Lord's servant. I'm the doula, really the term. I'm his slave. I am all on his program. I'm 100% over for what he's doing. Mary answered, may your word be to me fulfilled. And the angel left her. So this like remarkable set of encounters when we think about the contours of glory. I jotted down, and I literally mean jotted down, four pieces or reflections and observations of the contours of glory. Um, when you think about glory, I remember um, one, of the, one of the greatest moments. Have you ever experienced glory? Like the unbridled moment with God that's like nothing else, and it's qualitatively different than other moments where you're just kind of, your heart is warmed during a, a good movie or a good sermon or a good worship. But it's one of those moments where you're kind of wrecked a little bit, or you're just like, that was a God moment. That's, that's crazy. Like, I, I remember uh, one of my favorite, favorite moments um, that were just glory of God moments with Matt Engel. Where's Matt? Is Matt in here right now? He's probably out. There's Matt Engel. Matt Engel, stand up, Matt, real quick. I just want you to stand up. Stand up right now. I know you don't want to. Stand up. I love Matt Engel. I am so grateful for Matt Engel. Yeah, we are, we are, as it, I just want you to, I just want you to know, I was, a, I was a youth pastor for eight years, and I, and I hang around a lot of youth pastors, and, and, and at Biola, I, I work with a lot of students that are, that are youth pastors, that become youth pastors. We have such a gift in, in Matt and Tara. We are so thankful for you guys. Thank you, Matt. And I've known this guy forever. Yeah, I've known him since he was junior high. He whooped me at table tennis when I was a high schooler. Show some respect for your elders, Matt. Come on, man. You let me win. Um, and and I, like three years ago at Hume Lake, we, we, were, at, we were there with our, all of our church and, and our students, and it was just this incredible time. And if you haven't been to Hume, uh, you've heard about it because we're not stopped talking about it. It's an incredible place. You get the cell phone reception does not work up there. You get away from electronics. You get away from all the distractions and social media and junk, and you just have time where there's worship and people who love God like crazy and sermons that are challenging and just moments by the fire under the stars in the sequoias. So already it's like sets the table for cool stuff and and something different. And, and we in the middle of the week we go on this run. Um, it was free time. The students are all doing their thing. We're like, let's go for a run together. All right, let's go. So we start running down this path. It's kind of gently raining a little bit. It's beautiful, lush greenery up, up in the sequoias. And we start rounding up this mountain. And on that run, we were having one of those talks, those kind of talks that I think you have like when you're, I, I believe at the Messianic banquet in the new heavens and new earth, uh, when, when, when all is fulfilled and the mystery of how it will be, we'll find out then. But when it is, I feel like we'll have these kind of talks all the time. They're just deep and rich. We're not talking about sports and boring things. We're talking about, like, how's marriage? How's life? What is your heart beating for right now? Where are pains? Where is there hurt? What, you know, we're just having this rad sharing and exchange and kind of just dude moment together. And then we're running up the mountain, 
And we get to this lookout where you're looking out over King's Canyon, and it looks like it just drops into forever. It just goes, and there's this granite slab in front of you. It's one of those scenes that are, it's too much for one brain to take in, which is like, it gives this like sublime moment where you're going, whoa! And then there was an echo. Like, go, 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 go. Hello, hello, hello. So we start like, we're looking around, like, oi, oi, oi. And then we're like, start it's doing like back and forth, like, Lord, you're awesome, awesome, awesome. And then we're just getting unhinged at this point. Like, we're starting, he's starting saying things in Hebrew because he's a Hebrew Bible scholar, just blessing God, like, Baruch Eliecha. Like, just we're, it's, it's this rad moment, and we're gonna keep looking around, we're getting more and more lost in it. And then all of a sudden, boom, the biggest thunder like I've ever heard just shakes us, and it starts hailing and pouring. And at this point, like, we're tearing our shirts off, and we're like, Lord, you're amazing, and people are driving by like, call the ranger. We got a live one here. And we're having one of those like lost in the glory of God moments. I will never forget. It was a gift from God. I'll never forget. So when we think about like the glory in the, in the moments we have, a few of you may have a moment where an angel shows up, right? Like there's an angel. But probably for most of you and for most people throughout the history of the Bible, these stories are in here because they were special. They didn't happen every day. Zachariah didn't walk in and go, I wonder what angel I'm going to get. Right? He sees an angel and like, well, what is going on here? I'm terrified. Right? So, so you might have an angel, but, but I doubt it. But you might. But what I'm, I'm sure of is that as you continue to press into the Lord, you're going to experience moments of his glory. You're going to see these unbridled experiences with God and just interventions. And so as we explore these in the story here, I want us to constantly be kind of coming back to what, what does that look like in our life? And so I got four things from this passage. One of them, the first one is, is the surprise of glory. The surprise of the glory. The surprise of the thing. We see that in Zechariah's account. We see that in Mary's, right? Both of them, when, it's, when they see it, they're just completely dumbfounded. They're like, what is going on here? Mary's like, what kind of a greeting is this? Like, what, is, what does this mean? Completely surprised, completely shocked. The timing's weird. The timing's not predictable. And you're just like, whoa. And I think um, it is so, uh, what I want you to notice here is that each and every one of these, and there are many more. We're going to see it with the shepherds. We're going to see it all through the scriptures. We saw it in Acts again and again and again and again. And we see it in salvation history. All through the Hebrew Bible, you'll see accounts of God just, boom, there he is unexpected, shows up, people are freaking out, some people are confused, and something's happening here. Every single time, it's God initiated. God's the mover. He makes the first move. He sends the text. Hey, what's up? That's, that's a horrible analogy, but hey, I had an hour to write this thing, okay? <laughs> God is the one that moves first, and every single time, it is not a man-produced thing. What did Zechariah and Elizabeth do? What did Mary do? Here's what they did. They kept their hearts fertile for the work of God. They tended the soil. They were both in postures that say, hey, Lord, there's some, good, there's some soil here. I, 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 you want to do something? Cool, go for it. That's, that was their role. But every time, God did it. And I think this is important. And here's a line I, I wrote down and, and I kind of think might be a good one to keep in mind. God is on God's schedule. God is on God's schedule and God has God's idea. Ideas. God is on God's schedule and God has God's ideas. Like I so badly want 
a formula and a system for breaking in and dragging the glory of God into every little endeavor that we do here at the river or that we do, I do in my life. I want to I figure that out. And, I, and as a young youth pastor, um, I went to a million youth conferences, like so, not million, but at least 500,000 of them. And like Bill, Bill could attest to this. He's, he's spoken at many of these. And Denise has been and spoken at a bunch of these things. Like, there's always that one speaker or that two speakers, or sometimes a lot, depending on the conference, that they want to talk about like, what God did in their church, how God did something in their church, and then how the formula they implemented is why God did what he did. Like, well, let me tell you why this happened. We had step one, step two, step three, and boom, right? There's, there's sometimes a temptation to take credit for stuff God does and say we had a system, we had a formula, and that's why it happened like it did, right? And, and, and also, sometimes we so badly want to find the formula that maybe some other church has done or some other group, group has, has seen success in, and we want to kind of bring it home. Uh, Todd once told me, uh, he worked at, in Willow Creek and Saddleback. Those are two like the most flagship like churches that everyone looks to and goes, I want to be Willow Creek. I want to be Saddleback. And uh, like if it's a Fortune 500 company, if it was a company, these things are massive, influential churches. And Todd, when he was on staff at Willow Creek, he said he would get calls sometimes. He always get calls from different pastors saying, asking questions about how does Willow do it? One time he had a guy ask, what paint do you use in your like church kitchen? We want to do the same thing you do down to the paint. Right? Like, we're so desperate sometimes to figure out the system and to replicate it to, like, even to the paint. This dude is like, I want to make sure we are doing what, what you guys are doing. And the cool part that our scriptures keep dragging us back to and reminding us is that it is not now nor ever a system or a formula that we can force on God or twist his arm to make something happen. We're called to prayer. We're called to just seek him and have sort of hearts that are are really inhabitable for God to move in. But every time here, God is on God's schedule, and God has God's ideas. And so just, just to remember that in these particular, um, these particular stories. These are our stories that we look to and go, God's fingerprints are all over these. We want to look to these kinds of stories for direction in our own lives. And I think, unfortunately, for us well-planned 21st century Westerners, we want, a, we want a nice org chart of who's doing what, when, where, and we want to see the financials on it, and we want to see, you know, if it's going to be a good tax incentive or not for us to really go this direction or that direction. And so often our stories jostle us and remind us God does God's thing at God's time, and it's glorious, and it's glorious. And there's grace all through this, by the way. There's grace. Does God use my clumsy ideas? Yes. Does God have, like, pat me on the head and go, you're so cute? Yes, he does often when I have my own little ideas. But the best, purest expressions of God's glory happen on his time. Second little observation here is uh, I put the fearsome glory of God, the fearsome glory. Like, we love Christmas. I love Christmas. And I love baby Jesus, right? Like, throwback to Ricky Bobby, right? Like, six pound, eight ounce, baby Jesus. Learn about shapes and colors, right? Cute little baby Jesus, innocent, soft, changes diapers, and he's safe. Holding my arms, little baby Jesus, don't you cry. I made that song up just now. I had an hour to present the message, so, or prepare the message. I had to put something in there. Right? And, and, and holding baby Jesus. And what we, what we see in this story, and that's great, and there's importance to see the, that God became so vulnerable, taking on flesh and going through the, this sort of growth experience of a human. But like, 
when we see these passages again and again, what's, what's the initial reaction? Luke, Luke 1.12, uh, Zachariah, when Zachariah saw this angel, he was startled and gripped with fear. And the angel said to him, what did the angel have to say? Don't be afraid. Like, Mary sees this angel, and she's afraid, and she's confused, and she goes, what kind of a greeting is this? What does Gabriel say? Don't be afraid. In chapter 2, we're going to see this whole, these shepherds that are out in their fields watching their flocks by night. Angels appear. Angel appears, and what happens? They were super, super scared. They're seized with fear. And what's the first response? Don't be afraid. Look at Isaiah chapter 6. You see this in the Hebrew Bible as well. When Isaiah has a vision of God in his temple, filling it with his glory, and the first response Isaiah has is to fall down and say, oh, woe is me. I'm ruined. I can't handle this. I don't have the bandwidth for this. I'm melting in the presence of your glory, God, because I'm a sinful man. And God's grace is there with him. But it's a fearful moment. And chapter 1 of Revelation, when John... Um, has this vision of Jesus. He sees Jesus. What's his first response? He falls down as though dead. He just collapses. And it's such a cool imperative. I use this when I teach Greek classes, when I teach the imperative. It's a great uh, second-person singular imperative. Jesus uses, he puts his hand on John's arm and goes, touches him and says, Mephobu, do not be afraid. I'm here. It's me. And like the angels, that's like their stock lines. Like, okay, step one, go in the place God sends you. Step two, wait five seconds, maybe ten seconds for them to freak out. Step three, do not be afraid, right? It's like one, two, three. Because when we see God's glory and when he gets intervening in our lives, it's going to be scary sometimes. And I would say when it's dramatic, all the time. There's going to be fear. There's going to be disorientation. It's not going to feel safe and nice and cozy. It's not going to be baby Jesus with a rattle, right? It's going to be God saying, I love you so much that I have chosen to do something powerful in your life. Let's go. Let's make some moves. And, and when you think of my life in ways that you know are him, unmistakable glimpse of his glory, oftentimes it can be really scary at first. It can be like, whoa. I don't know if I can follow you on this. This is too big. I want to think about this holiday season um, as we just, I like to think in seasons, you know? We had our Acts season. We have our holiday season here, Advent. And when I think about, like, who knows what God's intervention might be in your life. Some of you have been married a long time. Some of you are sitting on, like, 20, 30 years of marriage, 15 years of marriage. What if God's glory, what if God intervenes in his glory and he taps you on the shoulder and says, your marital foundation, oh, you need a full new one. It's all got to change. And I'm there with you, but I'm tapping you. It's all got to change. Do you know how frightening that is? How terrifying to think about that? Like, no, Lord, I can't. This is how it's always been. There's just no way. I'm either hopeless, as a candle burns for hope today, and reminds us, no, there's never hopelessness in that. Some of you that are single, and you maybe have been through some singleness for a longer stretch than you're hoping it would be, and you're thinking, this Christmas, like, I want to be under some mistletoe, I want to be snuggling, I want to be cuddling, smooching. This is the Christmas. Lord, I want it to happen. And God's glory might just put his arm around you and say, I want to call you right now to contentment and getting lost in my love. And I want, to, I want you to be so joyfully content, and I'll be there with you. 
And you're going, God, I need a timeline then. Like next Christmas then at least? Can I write you down for like maybe Easter? And he goes, I'm moving. That's scary. It's not easy. There's, there's some of you that like maybe like all of us have this, but some of us, there might be, there might be a, a, an area of unforgiveness. Like that is a gnarly thing to be tapped on the shoulder when God looks at you and says, there is unforgiveness and you have sort of made a cozy little home for it. You've put up some wallpaper for it and plugged in like a scented wall thing. One hour to prepare. Come on, people. And you made it, you made it convenient for that unforgiveness to sit there. Bill had this rad analogy uh, he gave a sermon a year or so ago where he said, unforgiveness, it's like this. It's like sitting there with, looking at a rat that you want to kill that rat. And you take rat poison yourself. You're like, ooh, you're going to die, rat. Mmm, you are so going to die. You keep swallowing the rat poison. That's what harboring and holding unforgiveness is like. We, we don't want to let them off the hook. It's too hard. It's too painful. And if I forgive them, it's over. I've let them go, and they get off scot-free. I can't forgive them. What if God is calling you in the tradition of Christ to say, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But they haven't asked for it. They haven't come to me. They've doubled down on their position. I want to ask you to forgive this person. Between you and me, I want to ask you to forgive this person. That's scary. The truth is, on the other side of that, it's more freedom than you could imagine. Where God then says, go play. Go and play. You are free, and you are free indeed. What if that's what he's calling to you? Some of you, what if God's calling you to a gnarly, and it's a God call, a gnarly, gnarly gift? He's calling you to say, I want you to take that chunk of whatever it is that you've had there, and this is the moment. And it's time to unload that and bless somebody and bless the heck out of them. And it's a God thing, by the way. That will not come from a campaign like, it's Giving Tuesday, please, please, please. How many of you got like 20 emails on Giving Tuesday? Yeah, I'm like, lots of emails. Give, it's, it's not going to come because you've been guilted into it. It's not going to come because some pastor's you know, beat you up enough to say, you better give, you better give. It's going to come when God taps you, and you'll know it is. And maybe if, if you're married, you'll look at your spouse and be like, yeah, uh-huh, I kind of got that too. Ooh, that's scary. But what if that's what God's calling you to? My glory is calling you to bless this place, person, thing, movement, and give big. Whoa, that's scary, right? That's one example. And I just a couple more, and I'll, I'll move on. But what if, what if it's a season where, when God's glory invades, and he's calling you to... Like, look at that thing in your life. You know that thing? That, like, sort of hobby sin thing you like a lot? That you know is dark and it's kind of eating away at places and you got it kind of under control so it's enough to where it's not totally smelling up the place. But you know you're like, God, i got to give this up. Or i got to open this up to your grace and your healing. i got to get over my pride on it and i got to let it loose into your forgiveness, Lord. And what if this is what he's calling to? That could be so scary. Because that might involve getting real with some people. Another, another place, vulnerable relationships. Some, a lot of you are big-time leaders. Our church is like, we have more major leaders than I've ever experienced at a church before. Like, more people that are leading really big deals and doing really important things in, in our world's perspective and in my perspective. Like, we have so many rad leaders, people that are just on it, making it happen. And the strength that that is also sometimes comes with the other side, which is don't show weakness. Keep it strong. Take care of others. That's another place. A lot of us can be at where it's like, 
well, look, I, I don't have anything to complain about. I have it so good. These people are really hurting, so let's, let's take care of them now, and now them, and now them, and now them. And what if God's glory shows up and goes, it's time for you. It's time for you to start opening up that hurt you got to some, some safe people and start really experiencing community where you're the one who's being lifted up. You're the one who's being carried for a while. That's scary. Fear comes with that. The glory of God is sometimes a fearsome thing. So many more. The last two, these are, these are quick. One's really quick. But the glorious call. So there's the glorious, the surprise of glory, the fearsome glory, the glorious call. Like Just reflecting briefly on the people who are called for this remarkable, remarkable movement in salvation history where God's son is going to dwell with us, where a prophet will be rising up that will call Israel back to, back to God. Who were they? Like Elizabeth, infertile, elderly woman who's gone by her whole life watching everyone else, I would say have Christmas, but she wasn't celebrating Christmas, watching everyone else enjoy the Passover or Sukkot with their children and grandchildren gathered around while she sits by. And God not only calls her to be a mother, but he calls her to be the one who raises John the baptizer. And then the opposite end of the spectrum, a young, young woman, maybe 14, 15 years old, who's never known a man, who in that world has no like, rights or expectations on her for being anything great. And God calls her. He goes, you're the one. You have great, God has got great favor with you. I love when God just shows us his love and preference for the people we absolutely would never pick first. And he's like, no, that's it. We now look back on Mary, and we have all kinds of great theology and reflections on her, and there's so much we can, over the centuries, have now understood about her. But in real time, as it's happening, she's a lady, unwed lady, who's going to be marrying a dude from Nazareth. Any of you from Bakersfield in here? Okay, good. Like, Nazareth was a place that wishes it was Bakersfield, okay? Like, like no way that anything big's happening there. It's just not going to happen. And, and here she is being called out. This great line in 2 Corinthians 7, 4, 7, uh, Paul says about his ministry of bringing the gospel and truth to all these people. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He sees like that we have these junky, like little holsters for the most glorious treasure you could imagine. And we're carrying around these junky little pots. Like, oh yeah, you want some insane diamonds? Here they are. You want like gold that's purer than anything you've ever seen? Here you go. Why are you carrying it in that? Get it like at least a Gucci handbag or something. And he's like, no, why did God do this? Because God always does this. He loves picking the people you wouldn't pick and I wouldn't pick. It's just his thing. And so when you sit there and you hear the call of God and you go, not me, Mm, I'm not powerful enough, rich enough, connected enough, godly enough, unsinful enough, it might just be like, yeah, and that's exactly how God likes to roll, is to use those people you would least expect and do big things. Finally, finally, the glorious, reckless abandon. The glorious, reckless abandon of responding to God's glory, an encounter with God's glory. We see this in, I'm going to particularly say, I love it, Zachariah is kind of like, he's sort of one foot off the merry-go-round with it, like, oh, okay, I'll kind of do it, maybe not, I don't know. And so God's like, okay, I love you, you're not going to be speaking for a while, it's going to happen still. But Mary's response, oh man, 
Gary so beautifully read, chapter 1, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. I am his doula. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word be to me fulfilled. And the angel left her. She just said, oh, I'm all in. Let's do this thing. Let's go. Maybe it's because, I don't know why, maybe Zachariah had more of a high profile. He had a little more life experience. uh, Some quote-unquote, you know, wisdom that comes with his age or whatever it is. And she had nothing to lose. I don't know what it was. But whatever it was, is a beautiful response that she just goes, let's do it. You cannot halfway throw yourself at the glory of God and say, I'm going where you follow. It's like, tr- you can. You, Zachariah did it. You totally can do it. But if you want the full, full God dose of, of his work, his calling, his direction, and you want to be like in his slipstream, to mix metaphors here, you want to be right behind him, you got you to gotta go like Mary and go, let's do it. And Bray and I, I'll close with this illustration. We have this, uh, we sit and as I've shared before, up here, we talk all the time. Like every, every night that we have a chance to hang out together, we always have this little, little hour where we'll sit by the fire and we'll just kind of talk and go through our life and what's going on with you. And we pray and we talk. And we're, just, we're in this season right now, as many of you know, where like, you know, we've got some crazy things that we're trying to believe God for. And, and we want to we bring in some little babies, foster babies in our home. And, you know, so it's like the nuts year of a roller coaster or like rapids. One way of illustration to think about, like these rapids where it's going crazy. And this, this illustration that I think she has and I think I have and we've shared with each other is like this. Like, we're in the rapids right now and we're trying to, you know, I'm like, okay, this is cool, God, it's cool. Okay, if I can just steer it towards this little, little calm bank here, we can kind of have a little break. And then maybe if I can go a little faster, we can get this thing moving quicker. And so I'm, just, I'm steering and the rapids are getting crazier and God's like this. Pull the oars in the boat and let's go. Like, pull the oars in. Hold on and behold the glory of almighty God in your life. And I'm like, I want to steer. I want to slow it down. I want to speed it up. He's like, pull it in and hold on. Because when God is in this thing, it's going to be a glorious adventure. And man, I'm telling you, Mary, that lady gets it. That's the reason why she's called so honored. And we'll see more about her. But when the glory of God shows up in our lives this, this season, as we as a church whether we're feeling it or not, intentionally say, okay, we want to sit down and say, Lord, here we are. Have your way. And I think we have some really beautiful um, contours of what that glory might look like and our response, response might be. So I'm going um, to close in prayer and then um, we're going to have an opportunity during worship as we do every single week where we have um, communion set up and uh, the, the body representing the, um, the, the blood, oh boy, <clears throat> the bread representing the body of Christ and, and, and the grape juice representing his blood given for us. That little baby Jesus, right, had a cross at the end of his life journey that he was heading towards. And that cross and the, that broken body and that blood that was shed for us makes it possible that we might enjoy the splendor of God's glory. And as Paul says, with boldness approach his throne room and say, God, oars are in, let's go. I'm with you. So feel free as the music goes to come up and enjoy uh, taking communion. And uh, we'll do some more.